Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Heard of a story. One early morning, a mother woke up, her son in a rush. Wake up, son, it's time to get up. Gotta get to school. Son says, but why, mom? I don't wanna go to school today. Mom says, give me two good reasons why you shouldn't go to school today. And the son says, well, one, the kids hate me. And two, the teachers hate me. Mom says, oh, those aren't reasons not to go to school. Get up and get ready, you're running late. The son says, if they're not reasons, then you give me two reasons why I should go. The mom says, well, number one, you're 52. And number two, you're the principal. Now get up and go. <laughs> You'll get it later, probably. <laughs> get it in the replay. We're going to look again uh, at a part two of our series from last week as we finish this beautiful text from the Lord Jesus. If God isn't worried, why are you? Part two. And I think it is timely and helpful in this season and especially on Mother's Day. Huh, ladies? So much to be worried about, but why should we worry? Give me one good reason to worry. If God isn't worried, why are we? There really is no good reasons to worry. As we saw last week, it just takes away from us. It tries to steal, it steals time, steals mental energy, steals emotional and spiritual energy, and then it steals physically from us as well. We know stress and anxiety is not helpful for the body. But ladies, what I hope to do today, guys, what I hope to do today, family, what I hope to do today is strengthen us in our understanding of our God and our Father. We understand more of who He is. It will cause us to stress and worry and be anxious less. Let me ask you today, is God in control? Is he fully in control? Fully in control. Does God hold the whole world in his hands, really? If he, really ha if he literally has the whole thing in his hands, I don't think he's dropping the earth anytime soon. I don't think he's going to fumble the ball. I don't think it's slipping out of his hand. No butterfingers here. He's got it under control. And if he does, and we are his children, we should know and understand if he's got it under control, then why are we so worried about it? He has the whole world in his hands. We teach the kids this, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his, he's got the whole world in his hands. We teach it to them, but then sometimes with our actions, we can say the opposite. I don't really know if he has this one in his hands. This one's a bit much. Family, he really has got this. He really does. No matter how big or small your situation is, 
And young people, this is the beautiful thing about talking to older people. You should go look older people in the face and say, does God really have it in his hands? You've lived longer than me, please tell me. You've been through some hard stuff, please tell me. Does he really have it in his hands? I need to know. Yeah, he does. There's nothing to worry about. I know it seems overwhelming, but God is going to work this out. We are in Matthew chapter 6 in our Bibles. We've been working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. This is probably one of the greatest pair of sunglasses I could ever give to you. Better than Ray-Bans, yes. You put on these lens and you see through Jesus' eyes and you see that God has actually got these things under control. He actually has a plan for your life. It will cause you to relax. It's kind of like polarization, you know, in the lens. You know what I'm talking about? You've been wearing those $10, you know, cheap sunglasses off one of the, you know, sunglass hut. You've been walking by in the mall or whatever. You pull one of those off. You know, you, and, and, and then, then you, 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 get, you level up, you know, and you go like 30, 40 bucks, and they actually have some form of polarization on there, and you put it on, you're like, oh, that's what that feels like. You ever look at um, the ocean with polarized sunglasses on? Incredible. It removes the glare on the water. You can see into the water. Especially if it's clear water, you can see straight down to the bottom, just like that. Boom. Because it removes the glare off the top. I'm telling you, there's a lot of glare in our society because of the lens that we look through. And the society is always pumping us up to be anxious and to be worried and to be stressed. We always have the fear of missing out. We always have the fear of not doing enough. We always have these fears. Me too. I feel it. But Jesus tries to challenge us just to step back, slow down, to say, hey, hold on. Look through my lens. Look through my eyes. Look and see what I'm up to. And if you can get your God's sunglasses on, if you can get your Jesus worldview on and look through his lens just once a day, it will change your perspective for life long term. Jesus is trying to give us, impart a bag of gold to us, a nice heavy deposit into our account, wisdom for worry. Matthew chapter 6, take a look at verse 25. We'll read the context again. We're only doing a couple verses there at the end. But I want you to see the context again. We're going to do verses 31 to 34 today. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? We'll read it together. We always stand for the reading of God's word to remember whose word we are reading. Not mine. It's the Lord Jesus' word. It's not my words. It's his words. So let his words wash over you today. Verse 25, take a look at your text. It says, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is turned in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, you're telling us if we're going to worry, just worry about today only. Do not worry about tomorrow. Would you strengthen us in this? Would you give us such a focus on you that you would cause us to have peace? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That we would know that you are with us. We know that you have this. You've proven it to a thousand generations already. Lord, help us to get this today. Minister to us through your word. We pray by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Remember where we left off last week? Jesus tells his disciples not to worry. Then he begins to convince them of why they need not to worry. Remember the birds? Remember the birds of the air? He shows them how they don't store food, but the Father provides for them daily. Did you go and look at the birds this week? Did you get to stop and look? It's the best, man. Uh, yeah, Dave and I were meeting over here at M Street Coffee right here in Sherman Oaks. We're standing there in the road, and all of a sudden, there were like, I could see these little swarms of gnats. You know how you see like a hundred little flies, just like a little ball, just like flying around? Me and Dave were just sitting there, we're just talking, having our coffee, and we look over to the left, and there's a hummingbird hovering in the middle of the street, eating the bugs. And he was doing like Matrix stuff, you know, he's like, Whoa. You know, he's like flying backwards and forwards, upside down, and like eating a bug. And you're just like, wow, incredible. The Father is feeding them right now. Why am I worried? I'm worried about all this stuff. And look at that. God provided 200 gnats, you know, right there for that hummingbird. They're just sitting there. No other birds around, only that hummingbird. He's like, thank you for the feast. He brings up the lilies in the field and how they are clothed better than Solomon. The Lord clothes them every day. He brings up the grass and how it comes and goes so quickly. You're like, oh no, the grass isn't going to come back. Are you sure? It grew pretty quick, huh? Oh no, it went away during the winter. It's all brown. It doesn't look like it's going to grow back. Trust me, it's growing back. It always grows back. There's always more brought forth. The earth continues to yield. One of my favorite things I've been trying to teach Eden is that you can, there's food on plants. There's food on trees. It's just sitting there. You can just walk up. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You can walk up to nature and just start eating food. And every time new blueberries come up on this little bush we planted, she'll walk up and she looks to see if it's blue or it's green. And if it's blue, she knows you can eat it. It's the most powerful thing. I just love my little bit, watching my little babe walk up to a plant and pick the blueberry off and just put it right into her mouth. Something so magical about this. You put a seed into the ground, you throw some water on it, the sun makes it grow and it produces food. And a child walks up and eats it. 
perfectly designed, all fits together, intertwined exactly as God has made it. And here we are worrying whether or not the blueberry is going to grow and whether or not there's going to be more. When God has designed it this way, especially for his kids. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is sown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? If he clothes the blade of grass, you ever picked up a blade of grass? I dare you, go grab a blade of grass this week and just look closely at it. The details on that blade of grass are incredible. Drop a little bit of water on the blade of grass and watch how it runs down like a slide, like the drop of water is having a blast. The texture on it is really incredible. The way that it's coated, the, the wax on it or whatever it is, the way that it's coated is really incredible. It's design is amazing. And we don't see it because we just step on it all day. But if you pick it up and you look closely at it and you try to design this yourself, you can't. And this stuff grows up and dies and grows up and dies and grows up and dies. It just keeps coming back. When's the last time you took your shoes off and walked in the grass? It's the most amazing experience, again, especially when it's hot outside. It'd be 90 degrees outside and you walk up on some grass, all of a sudden it cools your feet. Wow, air conditioning on my feet. We pay, we pay luxury amounts for our cars to have air conditioning in our seats. You know what I'm talking about? You, like, you sit down on the seat and you're like, what's that button? You push it, there's all of a sudden air coming up through your seat. You're like, what? Wow. God produces this in the grass and it grows up and is gone. It just comes and goes. This is the point that Jesus is making. He's like, don't you see birds? Don't you see how God provides them? They come and go. Don't you see the lilies, how beautiful they are? Pick one, look at it. It just comes and goes. It's no big deal. Look at the grass. You just come and you get a gardener to just cut it up every single week and more grows. He says, as much as this comes and goes so quickly, don't you know that because I provide for this and it is all so simple to me, don't you understand that my provision for you is absolutely simple as well? It's very easy for me to do. He says, I do it for the universe every day. Why can't I do it for you? And why don't you believe that I can do it for you? Why don't you believe I'm going to do it for you? God will provide and take care of his children. He says, why do you have such little faith? Look at the birds, look at the lily, look at the grass. I do this every day. Don't you know I'm going to take care of you? Do you think God loves you more than the grass? You're his child. He's going to take care of you. But Jesus has said plenty on the issue. He doesn't stop there. He says it again to us. He says, do you think we need to hear it again? We absolutely do because he says it again the same, I'm not repeating the beginning of our text. I'm not repeating. I'm actually talking about verse 31. We didn't cover this last week. Listen to what he says again. Are you ready? It shows how much his people don't listen. Therefore, do not be anxious. You're like, Lord, you already said that. I know. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Point number one, if you're taking notes, don't be anxious like the world. Don't be anxious like the world. Let's talk about this. Jesus commands, saying, don't be anxious about earthly things, for the Gentiles seek after these things. What are Gentiles? 
The better translation is heathen. These are people who don't believe in God. It's not a derogatory term like, you heathen. That's not that. It actually has definition to it. It just is someone who does not believe in God, who don't have the words of God to guide them and keep them. These are people who don't have salvation, people who don't have their sin forgiven, people who don't have the gift of heaven, people who don't have the promises of God, <clears throat> people who don't have a relationship with the Lord, people who are not children of God. That's who this is. This is the Gentile. Jesus says, don't be anxious like the Gentile, like the world. They are anxious people. They seek after the things of the world. They're worried about money. They're worried about clothes. They're worried about earthly things. The Lord gives two reasons not to worry. He says, first, again, don't be like the Gentiles because you're God's people. You don't act like the rest of the world. You have the Lord. The second reason, your heavenly Father knows all that you need. Can you say, he knows with me, please? One time, he knows. One more time, he knows. One more time, he, he knows. He really knows what you need specifically. You, he knows what you need. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. Some need food, clothes, water. Others need money. Some need some comfort and rest. Some need vision. Some need wisdom, some need forgiveness. Some need burdens lifted, some need peace. God knows what you need. Your Father knows that you need them all. He knows the needs of every single person on the planet. Think about that. He has the capacity to know all things and all of your needs. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the deep needs of your heart. What an amazing God we serve. He knows what you need in the future, even though you don't know what you need. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows what's best for you. I need that. Father knows best. He knows what I need. Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know how high that is? I just think about the distance from an ant to the top of my head. It's just like, how many ants would it take to reach the top of my head? And my thoughts are higher than that ant's thoughts, and it's probably true, actually. The size of the brain and the function of what they do is very complex yet simplistic. They've been programmed, pre-programmed to do what they do. Instinctively, they do it. Ants don't sit around dreaming about the meaning of life. Hmm, let's sit down and think for a little while. What shall we do today? Oh, what makes you happy? What, what, what are you working through right now in life? No ants do this. They wake up, they're pre-programmed to start looking for food and storing away. That's what they do. Think about how much higher God's thoughts are above our thoughts if we are the ant and he is the infinite one. Here we are just thinking about food. Thinking about clothes. Thinking about my earthly things. And God is up here saying, you're missing it. I got way, way better stuff in store for you. 
I have way deeper things for you. I have things that will satisfy your soul to the deepest parts of you. The world does not understand the Lord, but family, you do. You know how great and awesome he is. You know he knows all things and is working all things for his glory. You know he has a plan for you. So we don't think or live like the world. This is why we don't walk in anxiety. We don't walk in stress. We don't walk in worry because our father knows our needs and is already taking care of them. The world has two primary philosophies about life we see lived out. It seems you can basically fit people into these two categories, non-believers. The first is people who believe there is no plan, purpose, or rhythm to life. Everything is random, so carpe diem, seize the day. Party like there's no tomorrow, right? YOLO, right? Live like there are no repercussions in life, no one to answer to, and we all know people who live like this. Just, just do whatever. The other group is those who think you can't change anything. Everything is the way that it is, and it will stay that way, and there is no hope. There's no opportunity. The rich will get richer. The poor will stay poor. Disease and hatred will reign in the earth. And eventually a meteor will crash into the earth and we will all die. Or we will move to uh, too close to the sun and get burnt up. So no use in trying to do anything good. What will happen will happen and there is no change in it. We see these ideas running through our world and some people are more extreme than others. But the common denominator in both these ideas is God is not involved. God is not aware. They don't believe God is aware of what's going on. There is no God. God is not aware of what's going on. God is not near to everything happening on the earth. Now watch this. What do you think Jesus means when he says, don't be anxious like the Gentiles, like the world? He is saying, don't think and live like they do. This implies that even Christians have a tendency to think these two worldviews. Let's seize the day, party hard because there's no purpose or ultimate plan. Who cares? Why try? We're all going to die. Nothing can change. The universe will do what it's going to do. Even the people of God, again, have a tendency to remove God from their own lives and their own day-to-day -day affairs. Why would we do this when we know we do have a God? We are failing to enjoy that relationship with our Father. Let me say it again. We are failing to enjoy that relationship with our Father as we commune with Him daily. As we commune with Him daily, it reminds us that He knows all we need and He will take care of us. Not communing with Him brings forth little faith, not seeing God in the picture, not seeing God in the plan of our lives. It's easy to get like this, even myself. I think that God made me a pastor in order to force the discipline of studying his word and prayer and being in the discipline and rhythm of focusing on him for the rest of my life. I think he forced me into this thing because he knew I wouldn't do it. Let me gate Josh in here. I'm going to create a little thing here. Again, if we just focus on the things of the world and we get our mind wrapped up in all that's going around us, we lose perspective of heaven and eternity, and then we start to become anxious. But again, if we lock into the relationship with our Father on a daily basis, just talking to Him, just checking in, just being in relationship with Him, what happens? We get God's view on our needs every single day. 
As we commune with God, we are reminded he knows all that we need and he has a plan in our needs. Let me say it again. As we commune with God, we are reminded he knows all that we need and he has a plan in our needs. Romans 8.28, you know this text well, you've heard it many times. But I want to break this down for you. Romans 8.28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Watch this. We know that for those that love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Anyone love God in here? Anybody one of his children? Then he is working everything in your life for good. He really is. How can this thing be worked for good? I don't know. But he's working it out. And he's going to turn it. He is working it for good. He is doing it for those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. He has a plan, he has a purpose, and he is going to work everything into his plan and according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, prognogos, this is to have knowledge beforehand. How did he have knowledge beforehand? God has always known. There has never come a time when God has had to learn about something. Did you know that? He created knowledge, thus he has always known everything at all times. All things are a part of his plan. If you are the creator of knowledge, you don't ever learn anything at any time. God is not discovering things like, oh my gosh, a new universe. He is the creator. Oh my gosh, there's something new going on in that person's life. He does not learn. He is the creator of learning. He is the creator of knowledge. He is the creator of wisdom. He is the creator of everything that we see, thus he cannot grow in knowledge. He already knows it all. Thus all things are a part of his plan. Thank you for the alert. He also predestined, yes, he predestined people to be what? Saved. Who? His people. Can you tell who they are? No. That's why we have to preach the gospel to the whole world, and those who have been predestined will respond to the gospel. We preach the gospel to the whole world and let God do the rest. He knows what he's doing. He knows his plans. He knows whom he has called. My sheep hear my voice. Watch as he predestined those who love God to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those of me predestined, he called. Those of me called, he justified. Made just as if they never sinned. Perfect. Those of me justified, he will glorify. Brought perfectly to heaven. Family, God has had a plan from the beginning. He called you. He saved you. And he has a plan to conform you into the image of the Lord Jesus. And he will bring you safely to heaven. Did you know that? We are on a ship sailing to heaven. 
and you will reach heaven's shore because Jesus is the captain. I want to be on that boat. We are. Amen, Serge. We are. We are on that boat. Anybody else is the captain? I'm like, mm, that's a big wave. Get me off this boat. No thanks. I do not want to go sail the waters of the world with any other captain. I need the Lord to be the captain, not me. I will sink this ship. This thing will go down in my control. Do you think the captain knows all the needs of his people on the boat? Think he has enough food on the boat? You think he's got enough life rafts? He's got everything we need. He has everything we need. And we have everything we need in him. Church, what I am saying is, could it be that everything in your life, all that is going on in each day, is conforming you into the image of the Lord Jesus, that God is working in you to make you holy? He did not save you to leave you the same. He has a perfect plan and knows your needs before you ask, because it's all planned out. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. Thus, he already has a plan to take care of you. Look at the grass, look at the lilies, Look at the birds. He has a plan to take care of them. He is going to take care of you. He has a plan for your life as well. He will take care of the whole thing. He's already done it in eternity's past. It's taken care of. And here we are on earth worrying and worrying and worrying about it. And God says, look at who I am. Don't you realize what I've done? I've got this under control. Do you know that God already has a plan to take care of you? Right now. The plan is already in place. What? He has a plan to take care of you next week and next month and next year and the next 10 years, the next 20, the next He has a plan to take care of you. If God's not worried, why are you? If God's not worried, why are we worried? One of the greatest joys of the Christian life is discovering, discovering the plan of God for our life. We are not like the world. We realize God knows our needs. We realize he has a plan. We realize he's in control. We realize everything is under control. The world does not know this, and that is why they're anxious. Legacy, do not be anxious like the world. You have a father in heaven taking care of the whole shebang. He's preparing the meal. But this is a big wave. I know the guy who made it. It's not that big. He makes waves. He owns the ocean. He owns all the problems. He owns all of them, even to the point of the cross. God the Father owned the biggest, most difficult moment in all of history. The cross, and Jesus took it on head first. If God has designed the cross in the most difficult time in all of history and the champion, our Lord Jesus, took on the cross and it was designed to bring us salvation, the darkest moment in all of history was designed to bring us the most beautiful thing in all of history, guess what he just might be doing in your very difficult situation in life? He just might be bringing forth the most beautiful things in your life. They may break you, they may crush you, but they will cause you to fall on God. They will cause you to fall on the Lord Jesus and cry out to him and worship him and beg him to save and guess what he might just do show up and save show up and win 
show up and secure and take care of you. That's what he does. That's the point of all of this, to bring God ultimate maximum glory over and over and over again. I don't like the problems that come in my life. I do not like them. But I do know that they are the treasure places of my life that have caused me to grow more than anything else in all of my life. I wish it was the opposite. I wish it was like, I'm going to Disneyland and I'm about to grow in wisdom by a thousand percent. I'm going to go every day. I would. It's fun. I love it. Sadly, maybe not sadly, count a little joy, my brothers, when you face trials, tribulation, because God is producing something in you. Maybe this is something we need to learn as a society a bit more how to suffer and not to be scared of suffering, not to be scared of sacrifice because it produces something great in us. Verse 31 again, therefore don't be anxious, saying what we shall eat or drink or what shall we wear, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Ephesians 1.11, in him we were also chosen as God's own, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything by the counsel of his will. The plan of him, it all belongs to him. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. We're in his wood shop. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Created in Christ Jesus, we are his workmanship, created for good works. He is building and creating us, made for good works, which God prepared these good works beforehand that we should walk in them in the future. It's an amazing verse. The plan of God. Isaiah 43, 1, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you my name. You are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. Through, through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Not because you're fireproof. Not because you can't drown. Not because of me, he says, instead, what? For I am the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Luke 12, 16. I'm sorry, Luke 12, verse 6. Jesus says, what is the price of five sparrows? What's the cost of five sparrows? It is two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are numbered, Jesus said, even mine. Like, well, that wasn't very difficult. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. He truly does know you better than you know yourself. You don't even know the numbers of hairs on your head. Look at verse 33. Are you ready? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you're taking notes, number two, seek God's kingdom and obedience. 
Jesus gives a solution to worrying and being anxious. Are you ready for the solution? Here's the forward movement. This is what you need to do. He says, let us be so consumed and focus on seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness that we don't have time to worry. We already know God will take care of us. We don't need to waste time focusing on worrying. We need to spend that time on the kingdom, on moving forward. Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. We must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he exists? Yes. Do you believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him? If the answer is yes, then get on seeking him. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and the reward will be added unto you. Legacy, we are seekers of God. What does seeking first the kingdom of God look like? It means that he is number one in our lives. We seek him first in our day. When you wake up in the morning, seek God. We seek him first in our mission. We seek him first in our plans. We seek his approval. What do you seek in life first? Job, your family, your sports? team, your plans, your desires, your will, or do you seek first the kingdom of God? We got all these other things that we want to seek first. I'm not saying we, we're tallying up how much time spent because that would sound like we're seeking jobs. You have to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. No. Where is the heart priority? Where is the mindset? How are we thinking and living while we're at work? We're told to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. What is his righteousness? Righteousness is being right before God, being holy. It is holiness, obedience to God, obeying his commands. Do you seek first his obedience above all? Look, the more obedient we are to the Lord, the less problems we create in life and the more we do right. And most things seem to fall into place. If God has really designed life and there is a plan in obedience as well, is he creating a bunch of rules and regulations to ruin our party? Yeah, he wants to ruin the party. He wants to take away all the fun. Or he's trying to stop you from destroying everything. Yeah, those red lights, that's like the worst law they ever made, you know. Why would we have a red light? Stop signs, I used to hate them. Now I love them. I love stop signs in the neighborhood, especially my neighborhood. Can we get three more, please? And we work in the plan department. Let's have a talk afterwards. I want 10 stop signs. My little babes are running around the front yard and these people are driving by all crazy. Yeah. <laughs> spike strip, right? That's all I'm thinking, spike strip. Jesus said in John 14, 5, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He's not saying, if you love me, you better keep my commandments. No, no, no. He says, if you love me, you're going to love to be in my commands. You're just going to love it because it blesses you. Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answer him, we must obey God rather than man. 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to them. Walk with God, and He will bless you. We obey God out of love. This is our motivation. We love Him because He first loved us, and He gifted me salvation, forgiveness of sins, and a relationship with Him forever, provision and promises forevermore. 
all the blessings connected to him forevermore. Lord, what else can I earn? There literally is nothing else I can earn. You just gave me everything. I gladly serve you. I love to walk with you and obey your commands. You don't have to twist my arm to be obedient. I love your obedience. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this stuff will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, verse 34, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I like that. Have you ever met tomorrow? Tomorrow is worrying already for you, okay? Hey, tomorrow, nice to meet you. What's your name? Tomorrow. What do you do? I worry. Oh, nice to meet you. Okay, you worry for me, and I'll just hang out here and today. Jesus says today has enough worries of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Finally, take life one day at a time. Can we do this? Family, take life one day at a time. Pastor, do you project? Of course. Do you plan? Yes. I love planning and projecting. I love vision. I love long-term uh, mapping out. I really actually enjoy the process. When I can see it, when I can taste it, when I can feel it, even a year or two round, down the, uh, the road, I can actually accomplish it. It's, I don't know how to explain that, but I really love that process. But what happens is, is when you shift too far into the future, you start thinking in too much detail about the upcoming days, your mind will become overwhelmed. Your heart, your being. So what do I need to do? I need to, this is the term that we use a lot in our society and our culture, be present. The here and now. Enjoy now. Especially my little babes, my little Shep. Shepherd, he is five months old now, and I look at this little babe. He's got these glowing eyes. I just look at him. And his smiles pay more dividends to me than anything else I own. Any experience. So if I just stop and just enjoy a moment laughing with my little boy, it is more treasure in my heart and in my being as a human being than really any other thing on the earth. There's nothing else that brings me that kind of joy and satisfaction apart from the Lord. But that only comes when I'm present. It only comes when I'm only thinking about today. I can be consumed forever in here about all the stuff going on with the church, about all the members, about the staff, about our finances, about all the things, all the ministries we're trying to build out, all the things going on. Then I got all the hobbies that I want to do. Then I got all the projects at the house I want to do. Then I got all these other things. It just never, ever ends. So what do I need to do? Focus on today. Take life one day at a time. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember the Lord Jesus. He has never changed. If God has never been worried, never, process that, he has never been worried ever. If God has never been worried, why are we worried today? He's going to take care of us. Amen? I want to tell you a story, and we're going to close in prayer and be on our way today. I love this picture. I love this story. It's Alexander the Great. One of Alexander's, the Great's men came to him, and he asked him for a large sum of money. Alexander the Great was one of the greatest conquerors. He basically conquered the world. 
And one of his men came to him and asked him for a large sum of money so that he could marry off his daughter. And the treasurer came to the king, Alexander, and he said, this man is ridiculous, asking for 10 times the amount of money anyone needs for a normal wedding for his daughter. You can't give this to the man. Alexander the Great replied this, I am thankful that he is asking for so much because it shows that he believes that I am very rich and powerful. And also, because he believes that I am generous and gracious, and he believes it enough to ask me, I will give it to him. So many times we don't go to God because we don't believe he will actually move and save us. Let us not insult God with prayer requests asking for so little, not believing our God is great and powerful and generous enough to pull through. He's not worried. He's got it all under control. We should be a people going to the king and asking the king, Lord, you are truly gracious. You are truly generous. Help me. I throw myself upon you. Use me for your glory. I'm sick of wasting time on worry. Let us go forth in joy. Let us go forth in peace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you now. You are the great king. Many have not because they just simply don't even ask you ever. They haven't asked you in years. They haven't sat down or taken a walk or just cried out to you and said, Lord, please help me. They may think it's a ridiculous prayer to ask. But Lord, that's all that you want is people who believe on you and believe on who you are. You are great. You do own all the cattle on a thousand hills. You are gracious. You're unbelievably merciful and loving and generous. And Lord, if you know all that we need, we choose to be in rest, we choose to be in peace. I pray for our church now, Lord, please. Lord, we take the needs of our hearts right now. We take the burdens of our hearts now and we open our hands. We offer them to you. And we ask, Father, please, that you would provide for us. Lord, we ask, please, that you would remove these burdens from our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would remove these burdens and replace them with peace, that we would know who you are. We would know that you have a plan. We would know who you are as king, as father. And we would rest in that today. No more worrying. And I pray, Lord, that we, legacy, would be some of the most pe peaceful people in this city, that people would sense that in our hearts, sense that in our eyes. We need you. We thank you, Lord, for doing the most difficult thing of the cross to pay for our sins, to bring us in close relationship with you. We remember you today. We believe on you with all of our hearts. We follow you in obedience. We will seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And we know, we already know, everything's going to be taken care of. Everything will be provided. All these things will be added unto us. We love you, Lord. We commit our lives to you. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen.